worthy of our praise this morning. He's proven himself faithful. He's proven himself to be trustworthy. Thank you, Lord. We bless your name today. We bless your name. Magnify your goodness, God. We are so grateful for your faithfulness today, Lord. We can lean on you and we can trust in you. You are not man that you would lie to us. And you've promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us. That we would never have to face any situation alone. That you would be with us. And we thank you today, Lord. Hallelujah. We give praise to you, Lord. Glory to God. Would you give him another hand clap of praise this morning? Thank you. so good to see each and every one of you here in the house of the Lord this morning. We are glad that you are here and trust that you have been blessed already and that God will continue to minister to you through the remainder of our service. I would like to just mention a couple of things before we dive into the word of the Lord today, um, just to make sure that you're aware. Our Pentecostals Connect desk is open now. Today is the first day that it's available. It's just beyond the main foyer in that next hallway there leading to our chapel. That's the place where if there's any event going on that uh, we have a sign-up sheet for, that's where you can go. If you've got any questions about upcoming events or about the ministries that the church offers, that would be the place to go. If you're a first-time guest and you somehow slipped in this morning and we didn't get any uh, contact information on you and you would like to leave a prayer request or leave your contact information to have one of our pastoral team reach out to you to minister to you to pray with you about something that would be the place that you could go and leave that information and so it's just beyond the main foyer that's available before service and after service also today is the very first day that our missions coffee cafe has been open Unfortunately, I was not able to be the first customer this morning, but I was there in the top five, I'd say. I was in the top five first customers to hit up our Missions Coffee. It was very good. Uh, thank you to the staff that's volunteering for that. Thank you to Brother Axel, who has been heading that up, organizing that, and doing some training on that. And they have put a lot of work into the cafe. If you've not gone in there, you ought to go in there just to see the difference in appearance. They've put a lot of work into that, and it looks great, looks fantastic. All the proceeds that they're raising there go to World Missions, Global Missions. Um, it's open from 8.30 until 9.30. That's a hard cutoff at 9.30 because we don't want getting coffee to interfere with talking to God before church. The, the, the prayer that goes, that precedes service is far more important than getting a little caffeine in your system. Um, so if you want to support that, get here a little bit earlier, uh, maybe no later than like 9.20 or so to make sure you can get your order in and get it filled by 9.30. You can have your coffee in the cafe or you can get a to-go cup and fellowship in the hallway talking to someone. No coffee, obviously, in our sanctuary. Uh, nothing but water in here, please. Uh, no food, no gum, all that. It is the sanctuary. It's, this is the place we worship. It's set apart. It's holy. We want to treat it as such. 
there is a QR code available in the Missions Coffee Cafe. You can scan that code and you can place your order without standing in line to place your order and then they'll call you up when it's ready. You can make your payment and all of that. So take advantage of that. It will also be open after service. So if you want to get a cup of coffee before you go, they'll be open. So let's support that. Continue to support the preaching of the gospel, not just here in our community, but around the world. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll turn with me to the book of Joshua. We're going to take our opening text today from Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, we're going to begin with verse number 1. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. Dropping down to verse number 15. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. Dropping down to verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. This morning I'd like to speak to you on when trumpets sound. When trumpets sound. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this service and this opportunity to worship you, to sing praises unto you, but also to hear from your word. We know that your written word is anointed. It was inspired, breathed by your very spirit. I'm asking today, Lord, that you would help me to deliver the message from your word that you've put in my heart. I pray that we all would be ready to receive it with gladness of heart and to not just be hearers today, but to be doers of what we hear so that our lives would honor you and we could express in our behaviors and our attitudes and our lifestyle how deeply appreciative we are for your goodness, for your grace, for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Our opening text this morning is from one of the most popularly known Bible stories, the story of when the children of Israel conquered the wall city of Jericho, Movies have been made about this story. VeggieTale shows have been made about this story. Songs have been written about this story. Jericho, with its great walled perimeter, seemed like an impenetrable fortress. And yet this is the first city that God tells the children of Israel to conquer after they've crossed the Red Sea. They've already defeated King Sihon and King Og. But now they've crossed the Jordan, 
And they've come into the land of Canaan, and God tells them to take on the city of Jericho, this seemingly impenetrable fortress. Now, if you know the story, Joshua sent spies into the land, and when they went, they found out through the word of Rahab that the people of Jericho were actually scared of the children of Israel. They knew that Israel was about to be on the warpath, and they were in their crosshairs. And so the people of Jericho were scared of Israel. The spies go back. They recount this to Joshua. The children of Israel head over. But God gives Joshua some very peculiar instructions for how to conquer the city of Jericho. Clearly, the children of Israel outnumbered this one city in soldiers, in military might. But God didn't tell them to go up and build siege ramps. God didn't tell them to roll out the trebuchets and start catapulting rocks at them. He told them to walk around the wall. Just walk around the city once each day for six days. But then on the seventh day, you've got to walk around it seven times. And after the seventh time, I want you to have the priest blow the trumpet. And when they blow the trumpet, have the children of Israel shout a great shout. And I will give you the city. And so though the people of Jericho were scared of the children of Israel, though they had heard about how they had defeated King Sihon and King Og, they must have been a little confounded when they saw the children of Israel just walking around the city instead of building those ramps to try to cross over the wall or building trebuchets to launch large stones at the wall to try to destroy the wall. It had to be very odd to them. They probably began to laugh and to scoff. These are the people we were worried about? And these guys are a bunch of idiots. What are they doing? Yet, on the seventh day, when trumpets sound, those walls came crashing down. And victory was assured. Now, there are times, even in our lives, when God's instructions may seem odd or bizarre. How many can attest to that? There have been times I just, that doesn't make sense to me. And yet we must obey, just as Joshua and the children of Israel had to obey. Now, if they had walked around the city on the seventh day five times and said, you know, I'm getting kind of tired, why don't we just blow the trumpet now? Can I submit to you that the walls wouldn't have come crashing down? The only reason this strategy worked is because they walked in obedience until the trumpets sounded. They followed to the T. They couldn't even talk. You know why? Because they'd have told each other how crazy it looked. They'd have talked each other out of victory. This is a bunch of nonsense. What are we doing walking around the city? But they walked in obedience. And this Joshua, who led this campaign against Jericho from our text, is also the one who is often quoted from Scripture with this passage from Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Ever since the seduction and deception of man in the Garden of Eden, a war has been ongoing. And it is of the utmost importance that you decide which side you're on. 
It's the most important decision you will ever make which side of this war you're going to be on. If you've made the decision that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, I wish you'd stand to your feet and let the folks around you know I've got a made-up mind. I've already chosen which side I'm going to be on. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Yeah, yeah, the instructions are a little weird sometimes. The things he asked me to do may seem a little bizarre sometimes, but I'm going to walk in obedience to his instructions. I'm going to serve the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. If you don't believe there's a war going on, I don't know where you're living. If you can look around our world at all of the grotesque perversity that is going on in society and what they're actually promoting as a good thing, and you think there's not a war going on, you've got your head in the sand. Your decision... To serve the Lord determines your eternal destiny. Your decision to serve the Lord determines your course of action for the rest of your life on earth. Your decision to serve the Lord determines your strategy for fighting against the enemy that desires to see your downfall, your destruction, and your demise. Your decision to serve the Lord will determine the battle plan that you must follow. And you will need to follow the strategy for fighting against your enemy because you're still in the battle. Your decision to serve the Lord does not negate your obligation to stay in the fight and to fight all the way up until the trumpet sounds again and the Lord of Heaven's armies has instructed you to fight. We must walk in that obedience. Otherwise, you will not see victory. You can't do five laps and it'd be okay. Well, I don't do this anymore. I don't do that anymore. But this thing right here, that just don't make sense to me. I don't think I have to do that one. I don't smoke anymore. I don't drink anymore. I don't do drugs anymore. But it doesn't really matter what I watch, does it? So we see this with Joshua and Jericho. Clear instructions, bizarre as they seemed. But because they walked in obedience, when the trumpets sound, victory was assured. There's another story in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, that I'd like to share with you. It's a fairly well-known story as well. It's found in the sixth chapter of the book of Judges. At this point, Israel's already gone astray from serving the Lord after Joshua's leadership, after he's passed on. And in this particular time, the Midianites had been oppressing Israel for some time, and Israel had become greatly impoverished due to the Midianites' oppression. They'd been coming in and stealing everything from them, their flocks, their crops, everything. The children of Israel, obviously not liking the fact that they were constantly being attacked and having everything stolen from them, finally begins to cry out to the Lord again, pleading with him to deliver them from the Midianites. And so we pick up the story in verse 11 of Judges chapter 6. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press to, a, to hide it from the Midianites. This is how bad it is. He's hiding by the wine press just to thresh some wheat so they can have some grain to make some bread. 
Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. If you know the story, you know how this goes. So Gideon's hiding by the wine press over here. Got his grain maybe in a sack, and he's, got a, he's threshing it, knocking the grain loose from the actual crop. And then an angel of the Lord just appears. He's chilling under a tree. And while Gideon's feverishly working, hoping to get done before any Midianites come along to take what he's working on, he hears, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. He's like, He might have thought a Midianite was sneaking up on him and the Lord was talking to him. <laughs> Who? Who? Where? Who? You talking to me? Ain't nobody here but me and you. And so the rest of chapter 6 tells us of Gideon. Uh, first of all, he, he's like, just, just as a sign to let me know I'm actually talking to you and I'm not hallucinating from starvation here, out here trying to beat up just enough wheat to make a, a cake maybe. Let me go prepare a meal right quick. I'll go, I got this kid I've got hidden from the Midianites, a little goat. Let me, let me go kill it right quick. I'll make a meal and we'll, we'll have a meal together. And that way I'll know that I'm actually talking to you and this ain't just my imagination. And so he goes and he prepares the meal. He comes back. Angel of the Lord says, put it on the rock. He uses a staff, touches it. Fire comes up out of the rock, consumes it. And then instantly the angel of the Lord disappears. And then the rest of chapter 6 tells us of Gideon gathering some men to help him. Tells of them tearing down the altar of Baal and the grove that was beside it. Tells of him building an altar to the Lord. And at the end of chapter 6, we find Gideon asking God to give him some more signs that he heard from God. And we know this. It's commonly referred to as when Gideon fleeced the Lord. Um, when he put the fleece out, it was like, well, let it be wet and the ground dry. It was. And he's like, well, let the ground be wet and it dry. And it was. And so we move on into chapter 7. Now, at the beginning of chapter 6, we find out that the Midianite army is innumerable. That's the way it's described. There's so many soldiers in the Midianite army, they couldn't count them. And in the beginning, of verse, uh, the beginning verses of chapter 7, we see where God tells Gideon, who has gathered 32,000 men together to go to war against an innumerable army, you got too many men. Of course, Gideon is shocked <laughs> at the thought of having too many men when it's 32,000 against an innumerable host. But he continues to stay in obedience. And he dismisses men according to the instructions of the Lord until we find out he's left in the end with only 300 men. So at first he's like, if you're scared, if you're fearful and afraid, go home. <laughs> 22,000 are gone. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> Narrowly escaped that one. <laughs> then he brings them down to the brook, and he's, God tells them, watch how they drink. The ones that just plow their face first into the stream, you got to send them guys home. But the ones that will scoop it up and lap it from their hand like a dog, those are the ones you'll keep. And so at the end of that, he's left with 300 men. Joshua's cha or Judges chapter 7, verse 7 says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped, will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go, every man unto his place. So here the Lord assures Gideon that they will be victorious with only 300 men. 
Innumerable hosts, can't count them. It's like a whole plague of grasshoppers spread out on the field out there. 300. Odds don't look that great. So why? Why would God do this? Because only 300 men means that the children of Israel could not default to thinking that they were victorious because of their military superiority. Only 300 men means that all the credit and all the glory for the victory would have to be given to the Lord, who they had walked away from. So obviously the purpose here is to restore them to a right relationship with God. And as crazy as this seems to Gideon to go against an innumerable army with only 300 men, Gideon continues to trust the Lord. And the Lord gives Gideon a very unorthodox strategy for victory, which Gideon implements starting in verse 16 of Judges chapter 7. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp. And say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Verse 19, so Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch. So these guys are just getting in place. Do you think those on guard are more alert when they first get in position or several hours after they've been in position? This is like the height of awareness. They're not bored yet. They just walked over there and got in place. They're not dozing off when nobody's looking yet. This is a newly set watch. Continuing in verse 19, they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the hosts ran and cried and fled. Verse 22, And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts. And the hosts fled to Bethshittah in Zerarath, and to the border of Abel-Mahalah, unto Tabith. Yes, these are some of those names we don't like pronouncing. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, and out of Asher, and out of all Manasseh, and pursued after the Midianites. So is it surprising that after these 300 have started, everybody's scattering that the, the rest of the tribes of Israel that are close by are like, yeah, let's go out there and fight now. Let's join, the, let's join the battle. But Gideon takes his 300 men, he splits them into three groups of 100 and places them around the camp of the Midianites. So it's kind of a triangle pattern, I would imagine. There's no way you're going to be able to fully encompass an army that's so innumerable that you've got a man stationed every, you know, shoulders width apart. They're spread out in three groups. And he gave each man a lamp inside of a pitcher. No, I don't know how that works. My understanding is you put something over a candle that's tight enough, it's going to die out. So I don't know what kind of pitcher it was. I don't know what kind of lamp it was. What I do know is that the light was still going when they break the pitcher. And he gave each man a trumpet. Now, I would imagine they hung these trumpets from their neck somehow so that they could have their hands for breaking pitchers and holding lamps. 
Again, we don't get all the details. We get what we need. So once they're all in position, all 301 counting Gideon, uniformly break their pitchers, lifted their lamps, blew their trumpets, and shouted, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And when the Midianite army heard the trumpets sound and the cry of victory from Gideon and his men, the Midianite army fell into complete chaos. They were literally bumping into one another. They were tripping over their own feet, scrambling with all their might to try to flee the scene and killing each other because they think it's one of the children of Israel obviously has come up in the camp. Now, this story, much like the story of Joshua, if Gideon would have erred from the instructions of the Lord, then victory would have been impossible. 300 against an innumerable army. But Gideon remained steadfast in his obedience to the application of the strategy that God gave him. And the end result was victory. If Gideon would have done 99% of what he had been instructed, but failed to do even 1%, they would have been defeated that night. But Gideon followed the Lord's instructions exactly as they had been given. <clears throat> as strange as they seemed. As little sense as it made for 300 to go up against an innumerable army, they walked in absolute obedience and trust. And some of us, as good as our lives are in a first world country, you know that whole hashtag first world problems thing that goes around? As good as we have it, we have trouble sometimes doing the little things that God's asked us to do. Now, as weak as my own flesh is, as imperfect as I am, I think I would rather wrestle with my flesh about reading my Bible in the morning than go up against an innumerable army with only 300 other fellows with me. But from these two stories, I hope that you see a pattern developing. Strange instructions, yes, but complete obedience. And when that complete obedience takes place, when trumpets sound, for those walking in obedience to God's instruction, victory follows every single time. I've never claimed and never will claim that the Christian life is an easy life. What I will claim is that it's the best life you can choose. And while there are difficult days and hard choices made along the way, living a godly life according to his instructions will alleviate a lot of heartache a lot of frustration and a lot of disappointment you'll experience if you don't live this way. And so while you may wrestle with some things that you see in the Word of God or that you hear preached or taught from the Word of God, as difficult as it is sometimes to follow when it doesn't make sense. We're not talking about when it makes sense. When it makes sense, that's pretty easy. But when it doesn't make sense to you, when you've not yet comprehended it, you don't have to understand fully in order to obey. Now, we at the Pentecostals, we want you to get understanding. 
We've seen it through the generations. People that just comply to the teachings and never get understanding don't last. But you don't have to have full understanding to start obeying. Start obeying and then seek the understanding. And with that being said, I highly doubt at any point did the children of Israel around Jericho ever think this makes sense. I highly doubt that the men with Gideon ever thought until the Midianites started stabbing each other, this makes perfect sense now. But they still walked in obedience. So I don't care if you never get the understanding. I mean, I do care, but if you never get the understanding, that doesn't mean you shouldn't obey. Because there's a pattern in the scripture. So there's another example of this that I'd like to share with you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Well, those were written by Paul. How about Matthew 24, 31, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself? And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. There's coming a day. Just as Joshua and Gideon followed God's instructions and strategy, we must continue to follow God's instructions. We must continue to trust in God's word that he's revealed to us. We must walk in complete obedience all the way. But there's coming a day when we will hear that distinct sound of a trumpet. And when the trumpet sounds, it'll be the sound of our great and final victory. And while it might not make sense to you right now, when that trumpet sounds... And this corruptible puts on incorruption. And this mortal puts on immortality. It ain't going to matter anymore whether or not you understood it. You're just going to be rejoicing as you go up to meet him in the air to forever be with the Lord. We can't afford to become complacent. We can't afford to become apathetic. We can't afford to become distracted. We can't afford to become so entangled with the things of this world that we forget there's a war being waged all around us. The souls of humanity are at stake. Eternity is on the line. 
We must remain vigilant. We must remain alert. We must remain in a ready state with the warrior's mindset. We must remain on the battlefield. We must remain in the fight until the trumpet of ultimate and absolute victory sounds. Many of you are on the battlefield. There may be some here today that aren't on the battlefield. We'll talk about that in a minute. Many of you are on the battlefield, and it gets tiresome on the battlefield. You get weary on the battlefield. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have had to say, be not weary in well-doing. He said it because we get weary. But we will reap if we don't faint. So the question isn't, are you on the battlefield? The question is, how are you fighting? How determined are you? Do you have the guy beside you's back? If, if you see the enemy attacking one near you, do you just ignore that because at least he ain't attacking you? Or do you go to your brother's side, your sister's side, and you fight with them? When the instructions from the commander-in-chief come down and you don't understand them, do you say, well, let me think about that for a while. I don't, I, I don't know if we have to do that. I mean, maybe if he comes and speaks to me audibly, that way I know that it came from him. We fall into that uh, Gideon mindset of wanting to fleece the Lord. So it matters how you fight. It matters your behavior on the battlefield. Because if you don't stay in the fight with everything you've got, at some point, the enemy is going to get a foothold. Because the enemy's not giving up. The enemy's not distracted. You look at what's going on around us. The enemy is not distracted. It's full throttle. Everything he's got to try to destroy humanity. So I want to encourage you today. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense. Sometimes our flesh says, what? Sometimes our logic says, what? But if we'll stay on the battlefield, if we'll follow God's instructions, I want to remind you, when the trumpet sounds, victory is guaranteed because my God's never lost a battle I may lose a battle when I try to do it my way with my understanding oh well, that don't make sense to me but I'll try it this way I think this will work I might lose a battle my God has never lost a battle and he never will so I want us looking for when the trumpet sounds again. I want us looking for that ultimate and final absolute victory. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to take just a moment for those who maybe this is your first time ever being in a church and you're not sure if you're on the battlefield or not. You're not sure which side you're on. 
You want to be perhaps on the Lord's side, but you're saying, well, how? How do I make sure that I've chosen, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? How can I make absolute certain that decision has been made? How can I make sure that when the trumpets sound, I'll be one of those that puts on incorruption. I'll be one of those that puts on immortality. I'll be one of those that makes it into the kingdom of God. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 now, when they heard this, Peter has just preached the gospel concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. They were pricked in their heart, said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles. So if there's anything in this message today that pricks your heart, says, I want to make sure I've made that decision. I want to make sure that as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. Then the question would be, men and brethren, what shall we do? What must I do? And the answer is the same as what Peter told them that day. Verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall cause. So if anybody tells you that repentance isn't for you, baptism's not necessary, the Holy Ghost isn't for you, that's an old thing. He said it's for you. He said it's for your children. He said it's to all them that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Well, I get the repentance thing. Lots of churches say I got to repent. I believe that part. I even, I know there's lots of churches that baptize, so I can, I can see the baptism thing. But what about that Holy Ghost? I don't, I don't know if that's necessary. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, the last portion of that scripture says, Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you don't have the Spirit of Christ. Verse 11 of Romans 8, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, that's the Holy Ghost. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. That quickening is corruptible, putting on incorruption. That quickening is mortal, putting on immortality. As I said, I don't claim Christianity is the easiest path you can take. Being born again of water and of spirit, that puts you on the battlefield, though. That's a good way to let the enemy know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, I'm putting all of my trust and all of my hope in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The price he paid. And so that's going to put you on the battlefield. And if you will stay on the battlefield, whether you're brand new today, whether you just get born again today, whether you've been born again for a couple of weeks, or whether you've been serving God for 20 years, if you will stay on the battlefield and follow God's strategy for victory, keeping his commandments, building a daily relationship with him. Can I tell you today, no weapon of the enemy formed against you can prosper. It won't matter what you go through. When trumpets sound and we hear the shout of the, the Lord and the shout of the archangel, the voice of the archangel, none of those struggles are going to matter anymore. You'll be glad you endured. So we're opening up the altars this morning. If you've never repented of your sins, you can come down this morning and ask the Lord to forgive you for every wrong thing you've ever done, thought, said, wrong attitude. Because it's, it's, 
not uncommon for those who've never known anything about God to wrestle with guilt and shame for things we've done. We know we've done things that we ought not to have done. That is that God consciousness within us that lets us know we are sinners and I need forgiveness for those things I've done. And you can come today and ask him. If you've never been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you can be baptized today. We have baptismal robes. We've got water. We've got a tank. We've got the name of the Lord Jesus Christ upon which to call. And if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you with the sign of speaking a language you never learned, you can receive that today. It's for you. It's for your children. It's for your neighbor, your cousin, your aunt, your grandma. It's for everybody. You have an opportunity today to receive the Holy Ghost. If you have been on the battlefield for a while and maybe you've been struggling a little bit recently with being weary and Lord I've, I've been doing this and I still don't understand it and it still doesn't make sense to me and you thought about giving up today it could be a day for you to recommit it could make be a day for you to make a brand new stand I'm not giving up I'm not turning back Lord if I never understand I'm still going to walk in obedience so we open up the altars for you this morning because I promise you, if you're on the Lord's side, if you're walking in obedience, one day when that trumpet sounds, you're going to see a victory like you've never imagined. It's going to be amazing. That's it. That's it. It's time of commitment. Time of making a decision, making a stand for yourself, for your family. A time of renewing. A time to allow him to restore hope if you've been discouraged. A time to allow him to strengthen you if you've grown weary. You can leave encouraged today. You can leave empowered. You can leave equipped to fight victoriously.